I can go back and edit it. We can still call it that. I don't care. It's good clickbait. People are like, oh, they're debating about communion. This is great. Wait a minute. They're discussing things harmoniously. They love each other. That's weird. We're good. Okay, good morning, everybody. Welcome to those who are joining live on Facebook this morning. We appreciate you. And uh, I'm just going to admit right now, guys, I'm a little smoked today. I'm going to do my best, though. I had a great night's sleep last night. I just basically hit my pillow and went out, which is rare. Uh, yesterday was a very long day. I started at 5 a.m., got made my way over to the uh, Congressional Assembly at 7. The school was not unlocked, and so this, the, the, uh, the principal had to rush over there and unlock the school. There's a long line of people ready to go in. Once they got everything going... Huge gaggle again, Greg. It was, it was hilarious, right? Everybody files into the uh, auditorium and then they're like, nope, there's too many people here, so file out of the auditorium into the gymnasium. And away the assembly went as people insisted on debating, and I kid you not, this is hilarious. So they, they open up the forum. It was just the same kind of thing that they did last year. They open up and they say, all right, the assembly is now in order. You know, they call it to order. And they open it up to like, are there any uh, motions that need to be made prior, you know, prior to getting the voting underway? And I kid you not, this dude walks up. You know, you raise your hand. Madam Chair recognizes you. Uh, it's just like what we see um, up at the state capitol. Same, same exact um, presiding. Madam Chair recognizes you, and he says, and I, and I, and I kid you not. And I He's like, I didn't know where the sign-in table was this morning, and, sign- and the registration was closed at 9.01, right? And I'm, I'm like, dude, the whole audience like booze this guy. Like, get out of here, bro. You show up on time, and you get registered. This dude pressed the issue over and over. I was like, I'm going to kill this guy. I'm going to personally take him outside and beat him up. <laughs> Pastor beats up kid in the parking lot of a school because of an Congressional Assembly. You know, it's, he kept dragging it on and on. It was hilarious. And uh, everybody at the end were like, hey, bro, it's time to grow up. These are big adult, big boy consequences. You've got to show up to things on time. And he went as far as to say, I parked on the wrong side. I didn't know what side of the building it was on. I didn't, the registration table wasn't identified well enough. I'm like, I'm going to personally drag this man out of here. I need to go. And I had to, I had to literally drop my vote. They're opening up the bags. I'm getting yelled at by Madam Chair. The voting is not open yet. The voting is not open yet. I'm like, I got to go. It was 1140. (laughs) I literally got yelled at as I'm putting my vote in there. I'm like, goodbye. You guys, I'm out of here. I I had to run out the door and drove up to Denver to do the assembly yesterday. It was awesome. So uh, to do the rest. So for those who joined us, guys, it was awesome. Um, I'm sure those can attest here today. We had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Um, it, It turned out much better than I anticipated, which is rare. And um, we had a really great showing of people, uh, lots of support, and was able to meet a lot of awesome people, uh, connect with them to better maybe advance the work together. So uh, thanks again, guys, for your support in that. We appreciate it. And I watched the video footage and the audio last night. We had some issues with the um, PA. It was cutting out in the middle of the, um, the some of the speeches. Not too bad, but um, that's... Uh, Greg, that's not existent. I checked the audio because it's an independent recorder. It is independent of the PA. Um, and the audio sounds great. Video turned out wonderful. So with that said, um, 
Again, thank you for those joining us online. We are, it was requested today that um, because there's a lot of questions around communion and around our church's official stance, and since it's great, we have all of us, uh, those who are officially in a formal role of leadership here today in the church, to kind of work through and hash through any questions that you might have and why we hold the position that we hold. And I think well, this is a great conversation. Plus, it'll be really great to have this recorded uh, for future reference. Maybe we can put this up on our, our website, depending on how it goes. But um, I wanted to open it up to conversation. I know, and it's a bummer, because I know Colin had a bunch. So, Liz, are you here right now? Is Liz in the room? No, she's not. I don't see Liz. Okay. Um, she could uh, represent the Cunninghams as is. But anyway... I know that people have a lot of questions about our position. Why do we hold the position that we hold? So let me go over that briefly. Every Sunday, we give a warning. I know most of you guys here, but let me share exactly what we do so that we can kind of set the precedent here, uh, the groundwork for what it is that we do, and then we'll get into why. We give a warning. We hold a view of what's called a semi-fenced view of the table. And a fully fenced view would mean Mostly, and you guys feel free to correct me here, a semi-fenced view as I understand, or a, a, a fully-fenced view as I understand it, is a membership-based only communion. Greg shakes his head yes, so that must be right. Greg knows. Um, he's my, my dictionary, my communion dictionary today, and, and my second brain. So, <clears throat> you are a member of the church, you are allowed to partake of communion. If not, you're not. And that's a fully-fenced table, Okay. So, as you become what's called a communicant member of the church, you are allowed to take communion. That's a fully fenced position. Semi-fenced position holds that anyone in, in the church, money of your faith, you've been acknowledged uh, as a member of the church, you're able to partake. And also, if you're a visitor, right, you are also, as, a, as part of the body of Christ, the greater body of Christ, beyond the, 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 the local body membership here, you're also allowed to partake in as much as you're not under church discipline. That's a semi-fence view. And a fence view would say there's something that needs to happen to fence the communion. The fencing is, if you're not a believer or you're under some form of church discipline that would stop you, that you would be, you would be encouraged not to partake of the communion um, for, for some reason under, as, a, as a result of church discipline. Does that make sense? That's a View. And then there's the open view. Come one, come all. Give it to your babies. Give it to unbelievers. Doesn't matter. It's just symbolic. Doesn't matter. You know. Um, and anybody can take it. So it just doesn't make a difference anyway. There's no reason to fence the table. It wouldn't make sense to fence the table in that view. It's just anybody's available to take it. Does that make sense? So we hold at our church a semi-fence position. We believe there is a reason to bar or fence the table. But we also want to make it available to all those who are in the faith. So if you are not part of our membership, our church membership, are coming to visit, we want, we want you to partake with us. However, we hold this position that has become highly controversial over time, which is we want to hear your testimony. We want to know that you're in the faith prior to taking the elements. And we'd like you to tell us before service, 
Well, why before service? Because we hold to a principle called the regulative principle of worship. Our worship service begins at the call to worship. So we've also gotten some heat for that. Well, wait a minute. Like, I'll come over and give you my like two-minute tidbit in the middle of service. It's like, well, I mean, yeah, we could do that. But really, we're here to worship the living God. And the worship of the living God begins, our formal, our formal worship begins at the call to worship. Not when we're singing songs. And not at the benediction or not during the sermon. It's at the call to worship and it concludes at the benediction. We have a liturgy. And communion is part of the liturgy. So we hold to a historic position, uh, very similar to Presbyterians, um, but we have a unique one as Baptists. Today we'll be celebrating that in our worship service. We'll have baptisms in our worship service. So with that said, are there any questions? Let me go ahead and open it up now. For those who are interested, let's say, let me, let me, we have right on the back of our bulletin, we say, in honor of the Lord, His Word, and, and the warnings given. We had asked for those who are joining us today that we're, un, we're unfamiliar with visitors to bypass the table since we observe it weekly. And that's another position. Uh, open positions and semi-fence positions even don't observe it weekly, so we could discuss that briefly. But because we observe it weekly and we, we hold to a semi-fenced position, we would just say fencing for those visitors, right? We would ask for you to forego the elements today um, before, so that um, we have an opportunity to hear your testimony. So, with that said, bring forth your questions. And for those online who might be listening along, um, Brian's, Brian's got the mic back there for people who want to bring out questions, maybe watch along. Please let us know. Um, I think it's a really important discussion. Considering how much pushback we've gotten, we've even had people not join church as a result of it. We've had visitors come and get really angry and upset with us, even those who would say that they're Reformed Baptists. We've had, um, you know, Colin's brother, as a matter of fact, really uh, was put off when he visited our church a few years ago about it, and it's been an ongoing debate and discussion between them. So I know that it, it's a, a heated topic. I know that it's an issue. Um, but what's really interesting to me, there are two types really, and I'm not trying to create a false dichotomy here, but there's really two types of people. There are those who just get blown out, are standing in their position, and don't even want to afford you the opportunity to speak about it and why you hold those convictions and why you're... You want to have the position that you have. And then there's another person who's, who's like willing to actually work through and, and hear you out. So I put those in the immaturity category who come to our church and visit our church just so you can, you know, for conversations with family members. I know even your mom like had a really hard time with that. Your mom and dad. Um, she was blown out. She was really frustrated with us, right? I'm taking, you know, and we've even had people go, well, I'm going to take it even if you told me not, not to. And there's another, you know, Greg and I are ready to tackle people as they walk up. You gotta be kidding me, bro. What are you doing? Can can you imagine that? Like <laughs> Nope, you're not taking it. You know? So yeah, so just imagine, you know, the, the kind of attitude that comes where people say they 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 are um, in a way, this is a Christian entitlement. This is something that that I should be able to do, and you have no right, even if you're a pastor of the church giving the warning. You're a leader in the church giving the warning. Even though, I'm going to still come up and take it. I don't care what you say. That attitude exists too. So we've had, we've experienced all this. And I know 
that maybe some of you have had dialogues and discussions with your family members or friends who have come to visit, and they might have struggled with that. Allow me to help you out and allow us, who have wrestled with this for years now, yeah, this is, we're going on years, and I'm still working through it, guys. Like, I'm still like, ah, there's certain things I'm just like, oh man, you know, I don't know if we should do it that way, but um, I, I believe that we have a very good, balanced, healthy position on it, and I'm happy to share why. So let me open it up to questions now. Questions. Uh, do we have a microphone we can pass around? Dang, testing. Um, my question is about for future, for those of us who hold the position and agree with it, um, moving on, you know, in years, like uh, you have to move to a new place, new church, and they do not hold that position, or maybe they just haven't wrestled with that topic before, how important would you think it would be to like, that's something this new church should hold. Maybe this is specific for those of us who move fairly often. But. Um, if I understand your question, so let's say, you know, for some unfortunate reason, you have to move on from our church because, like, the military moves you, which is going to make me cry right now. Um, if we let you leave, right, yeah. Um, that, you know, for some reason, you have to move, and you're, you're at a new church. Is this the kind of position that that church should hold and what should be your form? Should this be a way of um, vetting a church? Right? Uh, is that the question? Okay. Um, yes and no. Because it's to what extent? Uh, there are very. I think that we we hold a we hold a historic position, but that position happens to be in the minority, as we've experienced, right? Because there's really a strong lack of not only an understanding. I believe personally of not only just a, but what we're, we can discuss today, what it says in 1 Corinthians uh, 11 about the warnings that are given. I think, that, I think there's a really strong misunderstanding of what communion represents. How we have understood it historically. Even among our Reformed Baptist brethren. Um, you can see there's strong debates and, and uh, communion is closely tied to your covenant theology or lack thereof. Let me give an example. Baptism and communion are closely tied together. Why? Well, you make a public proclamation of your faith, you get baptized, and you get acknowledged that you're in Christ. Well, our Presbyterian brethren, depending on what, what, what part of the spectrum they're in, would, we would say the logical conclusion is, is that if you're baptizing someone, for example, infants in the Presbyterian church, they would the logical conclusion is, I understand it, would be you should be offering your child's communion. Some Presbyterians hold on one side of the spectrum more of like a baby dedication type day versus pedo communion. Actually, kids, you know, children taking communion. So we're looking at an issue that's, I would say, it depends on how they're observing it. You might go to a church that, um, for instance, let's say you go to another Reformed Baptist church. One like the one Greg and Greg can share a little bit of the details of the gentleman who got all hot and bothered when he came to visit us, and he had been in a well-established Reformed Baptist church back east, right? Um, one that we would totally acknowledge is these are brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, they hold they hold a, and I would probably say a more memorial position, symbolic position. They're not necessarily consistent with Calvin in a, what we would call a spiritual nourishment, uh, sign and seal um, uh, position, because they only observe it monthly. 
but are they like in sin because they're doing that? Well, I, I think they're missing it. I do. I think they're missing the beauty and the benefit of what the table acknowledges. And, and there's a reason why we chose to do it right out of the gates weekly. Uh, so I'm trying to answer your question because there's a lot of details that we could easily overlook here. And um, I want to do it justice. You go to a Presbyterian church. Let's say you go to a place where there's only a Presbyterian church that's teaching Reformed theology. Many of our Reformed Baptist um, bros and sisters do that because they don't want to go to a dispensational church or maybe there is just no other churches available to them so they go to a Presbyterian church for a time. Um, can you go there in a clear conscience? I would say in some cases probably no. If they're like pedo-communionists, I'd struggle with that personally. I'd have a really hard time going to a church that is acknowledging infants as part of the body of Christ in the New Covenant. If they're like baby dedicationists and they hold more of like a memorial view, sure. And I would exhort the elders in that church to really consider and work through that with them. So, I guess there's, a, there's a, an, an element of assessment where it's like, are they holding a view that's aberrant? Or are they holding a view that maybe I might disagree with? but it's not something that's, that would push them outside of orthodoxy. Does that make sense? Is, is that a good answer? Okay. Uh, now Liz is back. Good. So your husband had a bunch of questions about his discussion with his brother. And, so, um, and I'm sure you've probably been a part of that. Okay. So if, uh, he, unfortunately, he asked me a bunch of questions last week. So we're kind of discussing our official view. And so if you want to ask those questions and stuff, it'll be great because I know he had a bunch and I really wanted to spend some time with him and do that. So you want to ask on his behalf? Yeah. Yeah. I just want to make sure I address that, that I'm aware of it and I love your husband. I'm bummed that he's not here right now. Yes. Go ahead, Ken. Uh, I just want to say that um, you know, when we were looking, you know, when we moved out here, uh, they're just... It, we wanted to look at the principles of, of what the church accepts, and, and I think there are boundaries on either side. The one is, is that the church needs to hold that communion is for believers. And that's, that, in my mind, is an, a very important doctrinal point. Uh, and the other, um, on the other side of that is that um, it's for all believers, not just yes. members of the church. It's, exactly. So That's I, why I we hold a semi-fenced position. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, were you here when I explained the different... Positions. Uh, I wasn't here. I was teaching okay. last week. But. So I, I explained what yeah. what a uh, fully fenced position would be. Oh, just for now, yeah. Communicant members yeah. only. Yeah. Those who have been acknowledged as a member of the church. So we yeah. don't hold that position. Mm-hmm. And you're right. We want to make sure that we open up to all members of the body of Christ. We'd say universally speaking, yeah. uh, in the sense that if you're a visitor and you've been baptized, you know, and you've, you know, you're made a public proclamation, you've been walking with the Lord for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want to withhold that from you, but we hold a controversial position in the sense that we ask people to provide their testimony ahead of time right. prior to the service, which I'm happy to discuss yeah. why we do that. Yeah. And there's, there's a spectrum you know, between those two boundaries, I yes. think. You know, uh, in some places, it would be more on the conscience of the individual person you know, to attest that you are a believer and, and uh, uh, you know, govern yourself. And uh, whereas here we see it as a pastoral responsibility yes. that you have some responsibility as a pastor to ensure that we, that we keep those boundaries. So. And why? And, yeah. Why? Because we're the ones offering it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're the administration of it. We're providing it for people. 
Or, yeah, come one, come all, come take it. No. Uh-uh. Yeah. I, nope. And there's a reason why. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But any, so we had some other hands. <clears throat> and those are good points, Ken. We agree 100%. So this is one of the questions I know has come up in conversation. Is what? And maybe you guys talked about it last week. I know you guys chatted a little bit, but I wasn't there. So. He had um, to leave, too. It was a bummer. Yeah. What is the... What's the line that you guys draw pastorally? And maybe the answer is different betwixt you. But um, what's the line you draw for someone having provided their testimony to you? Have you, in what context would you be like, bro, we'd ask you to still refrain, and that's great. And then then follow-on question is, what if that dude is like, I won't? (laughs) And maybe this hasn't happened. That'd be a serious lack of humility. But like maybe that dude's like, I'm going to come anyway. And uh, what would stop you or would something make you like stop them physically or that's what if someone fails the test, I guess would be a question I have heard. I'm not. Which is a really great question. Uh, Do you want to share? I can't. It's really hard for me to hear you. It's actually in there are fans here that that in this discussion, I think it might be helpful for, for you to maybe share too. you had a pastor hit you up about some lady. Yeah. That was just like insistent. I'm taking communion. Blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, the questions follow. Okay, is this person a member? Discipline? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. all that has to unravel in a situation like that. So that's why we, there, there are two things that um, would stop you from coming to the, to the table. Two things. Are you a member? Right? Are you a member of the body of Christ? Have you been baptized and made a public proclamation of your faith? Good standing. Are you a believer? And are you in good standing? Are you under some sort of church discipline? Those are the reasons why we bar the table. There's a, and there's a reason for the fencing. I think the theology of the fencing is really what's being questioned. Why would you fence someone? Well, there are warnings in the Scripture about those who are taking it inappropriately. And they use the term like drinking judgment upon themselves. And then there are some sick and dying among you. Dr. Willie, where are you at, bro? Because last week you brought it up and I intentionally set this up. For you, hopefully you're listening on your, on your trip up here. And I expect to hear your questions. He said, and he brought up a very good point. He said, whoa, there are other churches taking it right now. And, you know, they're not just dying and all this stuff. And you're like, you know that? My immediate response is, well, how do you know that? How do you know that judgment isn't being, that they're not drinking judgment upon themselves? And that some are sick and dying among them because of that, as a result of that? There's a reason that we should be fearing the table. A good reason. The same reason that Ananias and Sapphira should have feared God and not lied to the Holy Spirit and withholding some of their property back. That still exists today in the New Covenant. And it's the Karen principle, I believe, that we need to better understand. What do you think Paul means by drinking judgment upon yourself? Right? Listen, if there was no drinking judgment upon yourself and there were no real consequences, guys, come one, come all, no need to bar the table. Is it just merely like a, a heart condition honoring of the Lord? Hey, Lord, you know, I know that you told me to examine myself before I went and partook, before I acknowledged who you are, who the Holy Spirit is in my life, the sins that I'm dealing with. And I know this is closely connected to church discipline where people were stopped from taking communion historically all through 2,000 years of history. 
I know that that's there, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it myself. Hey, pastor, I know you told me that you're borrowing the table from me, but I'm going to go take, which is an example that I spoke with to a pastor in California, Reformed Baptist Church, who had this woman who was just out of line. Uh, the, the son was a member of the church, and she was not. Okay, and she's a very divisive woman. And she, he, he was like, hey man, like, so how, how should we deal with this situation? And I told him, I said, you bar her from the table. Don't let her take communion with you. Listen, she's, look at her attitude towards you and the way she's, and he goes, but how would you do that? I go, you tell her, one, I don't want to see you in our church. If you walk into our church, I'm calling the police. He's, Whoa, I go, yeah, that's extreme, that's tough, but I'm calling the police. You want to be divisive in our church? You want to cause problems in our church? You want to completely disrespect the church government? And you're disrespecting us as leaders? We have a firm position on communion. You are not going to be taking communion with us. And because you're holding this attitude with me now, you're, I'm going to call the police on you if you show up to our church. Whoa, yeah, i got to call the local magistrate because you're out of line and I need to physically remove you. You are not welcome in our church. What would you guys think of that? <laughs> Greg says amen. Well, think about why. Yes, Brian, you have something to share? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that, that's, that's the person right there who is obvious. Mm -hmm. if, they're, if they're not going to respect uh, the cautions and the pastoral care, and they're actually going to get angry and be determined to defy you, that is an attitude of utter divisiveness and yeah. sinfulness that must be removed and must be barred from the table. Right. They're basically saying, Church government they're basically doesn't matter. saying, what, you're not going to let me because you don't think, that I, you, you don't know about my fine. I'm going to demonstrate that I'm either not a Christian or I'm in rebellion and should be under discipline. Yeah. Well, now you've just made it easy for us. Yeah. It's the, it's the folks who, and, and look, it's, it is not possible, well, certainly it's possible by the working of the Holy Spirit, but it's, in general, humanly, it's not possible to bar everyone from the table who should not partake. True. I almost see you guys as the gates at the subway. You know, you have to put your token in before the thing, will, the turnstile will turn and you can get through. Well, if someone's determined and can catch at the right time, they can hop that turnstile, right? But what you've done is you made it much more difficult, and you've had to make them work much harder to defy the fence. Yeah, and to drink judgment upon themselves. Let's can I just let's look at the language, First Corinthians, real quick. Okay, why is it serious? Why is the table serious? And I think what's interesting, guys, do do study this out. I even reviewed it last night, and I'm like, I'm even more convinced. Do we need to fence the table? Not less. Let's just look at the language real quick in verse uh, 27 of chapter 11, okay? And I'm going to go over that too, Liz. I'm, I, I didn't, I'm trying to build a, a premise as to why, okay? In verse 27, look at what he says. Look what Paul says. This is the context of the love feast. Remember that. The way that they did communion is very similar to ours. Communion basically kicked off the love feast, okay? And there was an issue I think Paul's dealing with directly here that uh, people were exalting themselves over one another. A status symbol, right? They were preferring one another uh, over others. Some people were drinking and, and eating to the point where they were gluttoning themselves and getting drunk while others were starving. 
there was a giving of preference over one another. Okay? But look what he says in verse 27. 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord. Pause. Whose is it? It's the Lord's. This is the, the bread and the cup of the Lord. And people go, well, Jeremy, it's just a loaf of bread, some wine and some juice, and we should get rid of the juice altogether. This is the Lord's. What does that mean? What kind of language is that? Go back in the Old Testament. What, what kind of language would have been used? This is the Lord's. It's consecrated. Devoted. It's devoted to the Lord. It's His. Yes. Yeah, this is perfect timing. Good. Um, if you can flesh out a little further, because we, we've talked about this. I'd go as far as saying to anybody listening that if you haven't looked at the Karen principle in relation to communion, you don't have a full view of communion and you haven't thought through it. Right. Completely. That's what I'm getting at right now. Yeah, and I'd say this you have to think through in order for you to process and know the practical application of it. If you haven't thought through the Karen principle, I would, I would highly recommend doing so. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it right now. Okay. okay. I think you need to understand this. I think it will help set the premise for you and why all these other practical outworkings exist. So why, how do we make the decision, you know, who to bar and who not? Someone comes to me, let me just pause right here. Someone comes to me and they say, you know, Johnny asks a great question. He always says, so what, you know, why should, why should God let you into heaven? Right? It's simple, just asking like a childlike question. Um, into his kingdom. Let's, let's do that. Into his kingdom. Thank you very much. Into his kingdom. All right. Why should God let you into His kingdom? And when someone responds to you like, well, I grew up in a Christian house. Um, you know, I, I've been a Christian my whole life. I go to Christian school. I read the Bible. Uh, I love the Lord. What would you say? Okay. Um, anything else? Maybe anything else that maybe one of my think? Well, you know, I really, I really want, I just want to try to do the best that I can. Like, just, you know, live a Christian life. No. How about Jesus died for your sins? That apart from Christ, you're nothing. You're dead in your sins, your trespasses, right? You understand the atonement. You can, you can at least basically express what it means that Jesus died for your sins, that you're a sinner. And that you're raised to newness of life in Him. And that your baptism is what acknowledges that. Do you see why they're so closely connected to one another? I can make a public proclamation. This is the reason why most people, most scholars believe the Apostles' Creed existed. The Apostles' Creed was a catechizing tool prior to baptism. You memorized this creed and you professed it publicly to all. And you said, hey, look, I'm in, I'm in the body of Christ. This is what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm part of this collective whole. I understand what it means that Jesus died for my sins, and I acknowledge that. He is my Lord and Savior. Right? And when you're baptized, you're baptized in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you're acknowledging His Lordship in your life. Right? So if you're not acknowledging the Lord of communion, this is His, that has been devoted to Him, what, is, what happens, Paul says? If you do this in an unworthy manner, you're going to be guilty concerning the blood or the body and the blood of the Lord. That's strong language. 
Well, Jeremy, he's just talking about those specific people at this situation doing these things in the feast. Is he really? Are you sure you want to go? You you want to take this language, knowing that it's the Lord's cup and it's the Lord's body. It's His bread. These are His. These are devoted objects to Him. Go back in Old Testament and look at any case where anything had been the Lord's. Was it okay to finger the ark, Greg? Right? Will worship. Owen, yeah, he's fingering the ark. You know, messing around with, with the things that, that were devoted to the Lord. Was that okay? Never. Ever. People lost their lives in the Old Covenant when that happened. Right? Was it Uzzah? Yeah, Uzzah that touched the ark trying to stabilize it and boom, died. You're like, man, that's really mean, Lord. He was just trying to stabilize it. Well, what were they doing that he had to stabilize it? They were carrying it in a, in a, in a manner that, that he did not prescribe. Which what? That's a form of worship. This is where we get our idea of regulative principle of worship from. When we talk about regulative principle of worship, which I also encourage you to study out, we're talking about a time that has been devoted to the Lord for worship. A day, Sabbatarians, that have been devoted to worship. One that is set aside in honor of the Lord that we just studied uh, at our Puritan theology. Amazing how these like, things providentially come together, right? But think about this. Like, there is an entire day that we have said, devoted to the Lord. This is the Lord's day. The Lord's cup. The Lord's bread. And if I take this inappropriately, I'm not only just drinking judgment upon myself, but I am guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Okay. Yes, Jonathan. Get this man a mic. Get this man a mic. Just briefly. Because then we want to look at the implication here of what Paul says, uh, starting in verse 28. Yes. I may, may be repeating myself or someone else inadvertently, but I think one of the, going back to your, your Uzzah, Uzzah illustration. Tomato, tomato. Not, yeah, not, not only, not only did, were they carrying the ark in, in, a, in a manner unprescribed, but Uzzah presumed that he could reach out his hand and touch yeah. the ark. And so, in the same way, we don't want to encourage people to come presumptively, presumptively and think, well, without any kind of self-examination. With, no consequence. With, with any kind of, well, with, with, and without any knowledge of the holy. Same thing with the ark. When you approach the ark, there has to be a knowledge of the holy. Okay, okay. So this is it. Interesting enough. How does Paul continue on? What does he say? He says, let the person examine himself. And then, so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Notice that. The premise, whose cup is it? Whose bread is it? You're going to be guilty of what? The blood and body of Christ. So examine yourself. And then come and partake of the bread and the cup. Wait. Um, for everyone, it says, for everyone, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why so many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. <laughs> some translations say fall asleep, right? This is weak and ill here. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. We are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Guys, there is straight language of judgment and condemnation. Right? Think about that. Okay, so now you're a pastor. Your leadership of a church, you're like, that's a pretty serious warning. 
We need to honor this highly. The word is very clear on what this means. There's an examination required. There's judgment. There's all these issues that we have to go, wait a minute, that's a pretty serious warning. And I would say, no different than Uzzah and the ark. No different than the high priest like, hey, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself, bro. You're going to walk into that in the Holy of Holies, right? You better have a clear conscience before the Lord and you better have confessed your sins. Why? There's a reason they tied the rope around their waist before they went in there on the, high, on the holiest day. Right? To confess their own sins and to confess the sins of Israel and to offer up a sacrifice in the Day of Atonement. What, what happened if they, did, if they went in there inappropriately? They died in the presence of God. No different from Ananias and Sapphira. You haven't lied to men. You've lied to God. And now he requires your life of you. And they carried their bodies out, right? Uh, Brian, you want something to say? And then we'll, we'll yeah. yeah. So, uh, and this is where, you know, people, where it says examine yourself, all those people would say, so see, it's on the person. It's yes. not on the leadership defense the table. Right. And I would say, what are the two ordinances that were instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ? Given to the church. Baptism and communion. Right. Would you just let some fool wander in off the street and say, hey, I want to splash around in your baptistry and now I'm baptized? Yeah. Without actually talking to them, without understanding who they are, their testimony, some background? Of course you wouldn't. That'd be silly. Now we're getting it. See, it's just starting to warm up now, yes. Mike's not on. Here we go. I think you're on now. Try now. Try now. Hello? Yeah. Hello. They turn you on in the back. Okay, that's really loud. Um, so I'm just going to throw out there that all of the examples that you used um, from Scripture of all those people that died or had severe consequences because of not examining themselves, that was their choice. That's all I want to say. It was their choice, yeah. But then what, what Brian just said is really important and, as well. And they knew the consequences. Sometimes. Not always. Not, not, what I mean by that is it wasn't expressly, uh, there wasn't a warning given. Like, so how many churches have you been to that provide warnings before giving communion? Not very, not, There's not always been a warning with the ark. Right. Okay, and so the, the priests that went into the Holy of Holies tied the rope around their waist. They knew what was going to happen if they didn't examine them, themselves, but it was still their choice to go in and say, and no, maybe I didn't examine myself fully enough, and I True. might die while I'm in here. That's why they had the rope. They knew it was a possibility. True. And then also... And the guy that stabilized Uzzah, or whatever his name was, that stabilized the ark. There was a warning for that. If you go back and read, there was a warning for that. Who gave the warning? The Lord. The Lord. And through, through Moses, through the law. Uh, but in that instance, I think to draw a direct analogy, what, what, what our position is here would be to say, what should have happened with Uzzah is there should have been literally a priest standing there to stop him from stretching out his hand to, to stabilize the ark rather than what did actually happen. Um, that would be the direct analogy we would have to draw here. Or, or to not actually put it in an inappropriate, to not carry it in an inappropriate way. Well, certainly, certainly. How about that? Let's start there and go, hey guys, we probably shouldn't put it on this cart. The Lord has prescribed us to carry it in a particular way Uzzah should have never been put in this position, and it was their responsibility before the Lord to make sure that it was carried the way that the Lord had prescribed. So we can, you know, the analogy still works. Like, God has commanded us 
to carry the ark a particular way. God has commanded us to provide communion for the church. God has also commanded us to make, be very careful and provide those warnings those, you know, to those, hey, don't, don't finger the ark here, right? Yeah, I, I would say provide the warnings, definitely. Sure. But I, I, don't, but I don't know that I... And I, I'm not trying to be divisive at all. I'm just, no, I, I understand. I don't know that I, would, that I would go so far as to bar people from communion. With the exception of, do you know as a pastor whether or not that person is under church discipline in another church? May I, I provide an example? I do not, but then that would be where the warning comes back in. Let each man examine himself. If you sit under church discipline and you go and take communion and you take the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, sure, that's on your head. It's not on the pastor's head. Right. No, and I actually, that's, that's something I'm wrestling with. I agree with that. However, think of it this way. Um, Daniel. I'm going to use Daniel as an example. Sure. Public. It's public known that he was excommunicated from the church. Uh, just prior to his excommunication, we actually had a conversation on this very subject. And Pete, his dad, got really upset with us um, that we barred him from the table prior to providing him his formal ex- you know, excommunication letter. We said, hey, it's probably better for you to not take of the, of the cup and the bread. It's better for you. Like, we're warning you for your own sake. Sure. To not drink judgment upon yourself, right? That warning was brought into question. So, you know, by Pete. Pete, Pete did, disagreed with us. He thought that, and that's why I wish he was here today. It would be really great to have him here to discuss this. Is it, why, why would you do that? Well, okay, so you're in a situation where you're providing a, a final letter of communication. You know, and we have to do that according to our bylaws. Um, we're going to give him this letter because we want to uphold our bylaws and we want to make sure that we're doing things formally and correctly. And here we are in this in-between scenario where I'm sick, he's sick. We're both not at the church. The pulpit's being covered. We have other leaders stepping in and we have to make a phone call, which we never would want to have to make, and tell the person, hey, you need to probably examine yourself. We have a formal letter of excommunication we're going to be providing for you. Um, And he says, and I quote, you guys don't know my heart when I'm having a conversation with him at our formal excommunication discussion, hoping that he repents. The hope is that he, you know, he repents and is restored. We're there to call him to an account and to, to call him to repentance. And he says, and I quote, you don't know my heart. I'm a Christian. I'm going to go to another church and I'm going to take communion with my family. And I went, and you're going to drink judgment upon yourself. He says, you don't have a right to say that. I go, I certainly do. The authority is in 1 Corinthians 11. You will drink judgment upon yourself. Well, And, I, the, and it is his responsibility. I would agree with the... I, I am completely with you on okay. the... If you're under church discipline, okay. where I can't get to right now is the, yeah. uh, the, the believers who profess to be believers who come into our church that we don't know. We, we, you as pastors don't have that same duty of care, and I think that, goes, that speaks to the, the issues of the transitory nature of our country and, totally. and, and our world and how people yeah. can move around from place to place and not necessarily be under pastoral oversight all the time. But totally. in that instance, I would be less comfortable barring somebody from the table who does say, I'm a believer, who feels compelled by what they claim is the Spirit to take communion 
to stop them from taking communion rather than just allowing them to drink that judgment on themselves if totally that's that. what they're doing. Yeah, and, and I get that. And I, we wrestle with it too. Like it's not, that's actually something we, we, we struggle with. Real quick, let me, let me finish this though. This is an important, so t- just to kind of help string together how these kinds of positions are really important. Now, let's say, let's say the pastor of this other church that Daniel decided to go to. He provided the warnings and stuff, right? But because of extra step in care, which we believe that's what we're doing, we're, we, and we might be out of line by adding that measure, but let me provide a reason why, okay? We say, hey, we'd love to hear your testimony pastorally. This is a pastoral desire of ours. We want to know that you're in the faith. This is a gospel-driven issue. We want to make sure that you're in the faith before you partake with us. Honestly, if you're in the faith, bro, that should not be a hard issue for you, right? If you're in the faith, you're like, I am so eager. And I tell you what, let me use Bob as an example of this. Do you know what Bob does ahead of time when he knows that people are going to come to our church? Hey, bro, listen, they take a very serious stance on communion. I want to make sure that you can partake with us. He makes sure that he comes out of his way to bring them over and say, hey, you need to meet the pastors because they want to hear your testimony. And you know what? They're like, cool, this is awesome. They're really eager to meet the pastors. Why do you guys hold this position? Well, because they care. Now, if you go to a pastor, you go to this other church, Daniel's going to the other church now, which he did, and you're this pastor, and let's say you held consistent to our position. Hey, you know, we, we, we hold a high view of the Lord's table. We provide the warning. However, we'd like to hear your testimony before, and we want to know whether or not you are currently under church discipline. What is an opportunity that exists there pastorally? Daniel, you've been excommunicated from the church? And you're coming to our church? Have you repented? Have you been restored? You are not taking the table with us today. That's how it worked. That's how it worked when, when the churches understood that. They held the high view to the Lord's table. No different from Uzzah and the ark. They were like, listen, bro, we're not putting that ark in a contraption that the Lord has not prescribed. We are going to make sure that because we are offering this ordinance, yes, of course, it's drinking judgment upon themselves as their decision. Yes, you're right. However, there is an obligation and responsibility for those who are giving the ordinances to ensure that they're doing it appropriately. Yes. Real quick, just because it was mentioned in terms of the Old Testament, if we're using like an, and you know, kind of an analogous, you know, sort of deal in in the Old Covenant, it was very clear who was in and who was out of the covenant, and people yeah. who were out of the covenant were not, were not. I repeat partaking of any of the ordinances. So let me use the, the direct example you're providing is the right. Passover feast. Right. You had to be part you had to be one with Israel. Okay? That they held a fence table. <laughs> they held a fenced view. You had to be considered one with the people of Israel. Barrett has a question. Let, let's let Andrew come, come share a thought. That's fine. We can do this next week too. Hey, look, man, I think this is really important, guys, that we work this out as a church body, that you can hear our perspective. Yes. I was just wondering, at what point would said person that needs restoration, would they be able to partake in the future with a, another congregation? So, okay, let, let's use an example. The ideal example, and that's a great question, by the way, Barrett. Thank you for asking that. Um, think of this. Okay, ideally, what should have happened? And if you remember, guys, remember when we prayed over uh, Pete and Wendy, and Sabrina. What was something that I prayed? Lord, we pray that Pete and Wendy hold Daniel accountable. And they preach to him 
repentance and restoration. And we pray that He would be restored to us the body that He was excommunicated from. It's not to say He can't be restored in Nebraska now. That's not, that's not the point. There's brokenness here. Daniel has wounded all of you as a part of the body of Christ. All of you. He owes it to you to make a public proclamation in this church, not cowardly run away and continue to do what he's doing in some other church, in some other state. He needs to be restored to this body. Reconciliation needs to happen here. Think about that. The Lord demands it. Be reconciled to one another. You've been excommunicated from a body that you've wounded and offended. An extension of the body of Christ whom He loves and cares for. His bride. It's not okay to run away. And then just say, well, I'm a Christian now. No, I confessed my sin. And No, 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 no. No, this, this lather, rinse, and repeat unbroken pattern of sin will continue unless He's held accountable. So my prayer was, Pete and Wendy, Sabrina, please hold this man accountable. We pray that one day he would be restored to the body of Christ and that he would reconcile with those whom he's wounded, which is here. And then, when that's done, we say, yes, Pastor so-and-so in Nebraska, he is in good standing in our church. He has reconciled with the wounded body that he has you know, wounded. And now is in good standing. Definitely open the table to him. We would celebrate and worship with Him. We'll see Him on the other side of eternity if we never see Him again. Amen. Done. And we've done that, by the way. We had brothers and sisters wound us that we called the pastors and said, bro, there's a serious issue with this brother or sister. They need to reconcile. Those pastors, to their, to their uh, um, credit, encouraged them to reconcile. That person then had to, hey, you guys... I was in the wrong. And now we can work together and work through reconciliation. They're in good standing with us. Open the table to them. Why? What is communion saying? I am in the body of Christ. No division. No divisiveness. Divisiveness is one of the key reasons why you would not be allowed to come partake of the table. So when you ask Liz, like, okay, how do you determine that? Well, let's, let's, let's dig in a little bit here. What, what church are you coming from? Tell me a little bit about what's going on. And let's say they're totally lying to you. They're pulling an Ananias and Sapphira. Who are they lying to? Holy Spirit. And to your point, it's, it's on them. But what am I doing though to make sure and ensure that we have opened the table of communion together with you? We have invited you to the love feast. Remember, this kicks off the love feast. Yes. I guess just following the, the regulatory principle of worship and orderly worship, where, for that warning, is it possible to restructure so that we can give that warning and still have an opportunity for the people to hear that warning and then respond in a positive way to go give their testimony? You know amazing, bro? What's that? As if we just made them stand up right here and now in the middle of service Dude, and proclaim their testimony. Let's do it. That's what they did in the, in the, Johnny, in the in? early church. Dude, that'd be a, Hey, dude, I, I'm, I think that'd be... How amazing would that be? Hey, if you would please, if you're a visitor among us today and you'd like to partake in communion, just so that we have a clear conscience in offering this ordinance, we'd ask you to please stand today and just offer your testimony publicly. You shouldn't have a problem with that, right? That would resolve my complete issue. It would resolve that. mine too. Yeah. I, 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 because I love that. Because then we, 
then we get to allow everybody who is a believer to, to give their testimony cool and to come to the table. I love that, dude. Yes. Someone take communion with us. What we're saying is that, that they basically have equal membership here in our church. Yeah. Think about that. Just think about that for a moment. Yeah. Well, he's saying, he's saying like in terms of being like part of the we won't let somebody, We won't let um, non-baptized people, right, that come in here. Obviously, people yeah. who are, no, I agree with who are members, on that. They're, they're, they're receiving. So, I mean, in, in, in the same line of thinking, that follows when people are receiving communion. Not, not, we're not going to course, you know, hey, fill out this form that you took. Well, because you know, we that, baptize that members, members into, the, into, the mem- into membership. Yeah. Today, we will baptize people into membership. Some people don't like that, but well, it's a barrier to entry, guys. Like that, baptism is a barrier to entry. Yes. What would you do then if you open it up to speaking very middle of the service? Hey, yeah, I grew up in a Christian homeschool, and my mom's a Christian. I go to church all the time. That's a good point. Then you're having to do a dialogue to find out if they are in the faith or not. Or maybe you say, "Hey, if you want to publicly do it, you provide an opportunity." And then it turns into one of our caucus assemblies, dude, where it's just like, "Oh my gosh." Got a petition? Please approach the chair. Yeah. <laughs> petition to petition to baptism. Petition to communion. Yes, I petition. Yeah. I think yeah, that's a really good point. That's a good point. But you see why like this is important to work through together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is the baptism into membership the thing that differentiates spontaneous baptism and us not accepting that from a spontaneous sharing of your testimony and coming up to take communion? Um. I, well, so let's, yes and no, because, okay, let's say someone wants to become, what you're saying is, I want to be a member of the church, and I'm also acknowledging my faith in Christ. Uh, baptism should be spontaneous, um, but to an extent, right? So someone pr- professes Christ as their Lord and Savior, we should baptize them. That's what the scriptures command. But that's not the way that we exercise it here. Because we don't, one, we don't have the means to do that. Right? I mean, we could go to a, a river, freezing cold, but we love our neighbors. And at the same sense, um, I, right, I mean, but, but no, I would say, so that I, I would say, contextually speaking, geographically speaking, you know, spontaneous baptism isn't always possible. You're in the middle of the Arab desert, you just pour some water over someone's head. I mean, it's right. Uh, um, Part of, because part of baptism, and, and again, let's just be clear that some of those examples are not prescriptive. Like uh, Ethiopian eunuch, right? Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I would say that's not a prescriptive example for what it should look like. There's a reason why. The Apostles' Creed arose out of a baptism course, a catechism that you took, right? You're saying, hey, look, you're going to memorize this at least basically. You've confessed Christ as your Lord, but we want to assure that we are acknowledging someone appropriately as being part of the body of Christ. Now, we may have added too many formalities that probably should, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of spontaneous. Ask, ask Jonathan, bro. I'm like, dunk those fools. They want to be baptized? They've professed Christ as their Lord? Dunk them. However, we are also wanting to be very careful, right, that not just any expression. We want to know, we want to see a couple things. One, Yes, they know, then they can verbally proclaim the gospel. They understand it. But two, that their life has some fruit befitting repentance. 
Some might struggle with that, and that's maybe why Baptists are a little bit more heavy-handed because we're concerned about who we're acknowledging. But I think there's a place for that, right? Let, let me give you an example. Someone is in gross sin, okay? I'm just going to use myself as an example. That, that'll work. I am selling drugs, bro, okay? Uh, parting my life away uh, in my early 20s. And I go to a church, and I went there with the intention because my buddy invited me there. He said, it's a college night. There's a bunch of hot chicks that go there. Okay? Um, I'm like, well, what a great... Yeah, we should go do that. right? That's how pagan I was. Yeah, that's a great idea. A bunch of hot chicks go there, so we can go pick up some hot chicks at church. It's a wonderful idea. right? We go there, and again, I am engrossed in sin. Totally pagan. I'm coming there with, with evil motives. And the Gospel is preached, and bro, my eyes were open. My heart was turned. I repented to dust and ashes. I fell in the middle of the aisle. I'm just prostrate. Just like I am undone. And I've never been the same again. But there was a period of time of examination that I think is important. Jeremy was a drug-dealing party animal. Now he professes Christ. And what do you have? You have examples of people who made professions but then fell back away. You know, all these things. And so this idea that you're a pastor, that you're acknowledging someone, you know, you're, you're... you're saying this person's a believer in Christ, and we don't know where everybody's heart position is, right? We don't know necessarily where everyone's at. But this, you're acknowledging with them, yes, I've walked them through this stuff. This is what it means to be a Christian. Um, this person's definitely be, has fruit befitting repentance, at least what, what I can see. And I, as a pastor uh, or as a church leader, am acknowledging that repentance. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's hard. Like, yeah, we should do it spontaneously, that would be ideal. But in the same sense, there's also responsibility on the leadership side to ensure that those who you are acknowledging are actually in the faith. Does that make sense? Or does that even answer your question? Uh, it starts to answer it. I need to think more. Okay. Um, we'll, we can pick this up again. I'm fine. I think it's, imp- I think it's good. Um, so that you guys can really get a feel for you know, the stuff we're wrestling with and the stuff we're dealing with. But I think if I can... In- I need to it now... Um, but let me, let me put this out to you. Please do me a favor, okay? Go through 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 17 through 34, the end of the chapter, okay? Just, just please do, that, do me a favor and do that, especially verses 27 through 31, okay? Uh, 32, excuse me. Just do, a, just do a study of that, okay? Look at the context of what Paul's dealing with here. Ask yourself the hard question, what does it mean that it's the cup of the Lord? What does it mean to um, be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord? Uh, what does it mean to examine yourself? Why is that an, a thing before you eat? Um, what is this issue of discernment of the body? What does that mean? Um, why, are people being, why are people drinking judgment upon themselves? And why are the consequences of people being weak and ill and dying? What are, what are the reasons for that? One second, Ken. Someone wants to give a mic to Ken. Here's a point. Um, then, then from there, what I want you to do is I want you to try to look at, look at the Passover Seder. Okay, Understand what it meant to partake the Passover together as the people of Israel. We understand that as a shadow, being that Christ administered the communion elements in a Passover meal. There's a connection to the Passover. Understand the connection to the Passover. What was God's command of Israel 
when they partook of the Passover, particularly, as Greg mentioned a moment ago, the sojourners and the strangers who are among them. Who is allowed to take it and why? How is that a shadow of what is ultimately referenced a fulfillment, the, the, the type itself, the anti-type, uh, in Christ? I just wanted to call attention to the end of verse 34, uh, where Paul says, and the rest I will set in order when I come. Well, that says is he's telling the Corinthian church, you have to address this now. This is the thing they can't wait. Yeah. You got other problems. I'll take care of them when I get there. Address this now. That's a good point. And, and guys, it's going to be helpful to work through this because here's the thing. We want to understand, okay, then with that said, and it was kind of what, what you guys were sharing just a minute ago, in the sense of there is an individual responsibility. What is that? And then there is a pastoral responsibility what is that? How does that look? And then try to better understand, well, why are we taking the particular positions? How should we, uh, as Liz was asking, acknowledge someone? How do we actually determine whether or not we're like, mm, probably not, or okay, yeah, for sure. And why, why would that be something important pastorally? And then finally, let me, let me open the, uh, share this with you. When you think through this, the way this kind of thing should function, think about this not only from a pastoral, but a church body together, collectively. What should happen in your mind when you see everybody getting up and coming to partake when you know what their lives look like behind the doors, right? One, holding one another accountable. But then what about people who are staying in their seats? What should happen in your mind? There's a lot of people here who come visit, who are in their seats. As the body of Christ, what should you do? What should immediately happen? You should reach out to them. Hey bro, um, is everything okay? I noticed you didn't come up and partake today. Are you alright? Like Anything I can work through with you? Uh, is everything okay in your life? Like, Is there something going on? Is there something I can be praying for you for? So think pastorally. Think how we can minister to one another. And then they confess and you go, oh wow, this is an open opportunity to counsel and work through things with people. Or, what might they need? Gospel. This is an opportunity internally to see who's walking up and who's not. Make it a point to go reach out to them and share the Gospel with them. Does that make sense? So, there's a beauty behind it. Uh, there is. It's not, it's not because we want to be meanie heads and, and bar the table. It's, there's actually a, a benefit to it. A, a, long, a, a, a vast benefit to it. So, let's pick this up. Think through that a little bit more. And then hopefully, this at least has opened your eyes a bit more to, today to, to kind of where our heart's at, what texts particularly we're concerned about, areas that we might even be wrestling with, because I think you know, we're in a very similar spot, Andrew. I would agree with you. Um, and stuff how we can basically collectively work together where we can come into a greater agreement or unity, hopefully, on, on what, why we do what we do. And then it would be easier to bring other people into that. And I think this is a very important conversation. So thank you guys for t uh, sharing today and walking through this with us. Um, I'm really looking forward to our rest of the time of worship together. Let's, let's uh, bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, um, I think that today's discussion is so pertinent um, for so many reasons that I can't, I can't even go into all of them. Um, I think there's a huge misunderstanding of what 
communion is, particularly in the mainstream American church. There's such a miss, a beauty there of what you instituted on that day with your disciples and what you have given to us to share with one another in celebration of you, a recognition and acknowledgement of what you've accomplished on our behalf. And so uh, I pray as we study through these texts next week and we come be- uh, prepared to take a deeper dive and a further understanding into the ordinances that you have given us as baptism and communion, that we are to partake together and celebrate together, that we would walk away from it with a firmer understanding and a greater unity in our church, and uh, that we'd be able to better minister to one another, to love one another, and for those who are visiting. And uh, I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.